Welcome to the Ion Ryan Show, a satellite orbiting the worlds of tech, toys, pro wrestling, and pop culture. Here is your host, Ion Ryan. Hola, amigos, and welcome to episode two of the Ion Ryan Show as a member of the WePod Squad. Uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to our first episode two weeks ago. Uh, I also want to thank uh, Sean for splitting Tuesdays with me. See, uh, what we're doing here with the We Pod Squad is our flagship show is called We Podcast and We Know Things, and that's handled by our friend uh, Greg and Sam. Now, uh, Sam's been off the past two weeks as Greg and his friend Chris have previewed and reviewed E3. Uh, if you missed those episodes, you can catch up uh on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, And then every other Tuesday, uh, Sean will be presenting The Last Podcast, which is a Star Wars-centric podcast. Uh, Last week, I loved his episode. He actually uh, did a little bit of like a watch-through for The Last Jedi, uh, which I thought was actually really cool. Uh, He kind of gave us his real-time reaction to things, kind of navigated things. Um... I have only seen The Last Jedi a handful of times. I immediately texted him and said, oh my gosh, I hate The Last Jedi, Uh, which we'll save that for a conversation for another day. Uh, I I dislike it for uh, a variety of reasons, but the number one reason is uh, I don't feel like rewatching it, and that's disappointing uh, to me. I I love, love, love the Marvel movies and uh, some of my other favorites like uh, Hot Fuzz and Tombstone. They're two of my favorite movies. I love being able to say like, ooh, I'll watch this. Uh, I feel that way in particular in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with um, Guardians of the Galaxy. I watch it all the time. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, Sean will uh, hopefully continue uh, to do that segment uh, when he is back here next week. Uh, but for now, you have me, Ion Ryan. Uh, for those of you guys that listen to the first show, uh, I did a little bit of an introduction as to what to expect about the podcast. Um, in addition to that, I kind of set up pro wrestling as an art form. Uh, that took a little while. And then I gave a little bit of a tease as to what the new company, AEW, can learn from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so we're going to get back into part two of that here in a few minutes. Uh, but for now, I just want to talk about a couple of different things. First and foremost, my voice is shot. Uh, See, it was Philadelphia Wizard World this weekend, and I had the good fortune of being brought in uh, by our dear friends at Sony uh, to help promote Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, What I did was, in this movie, Peter Parker is obviously traveling abroad, and uh, he needs to go get a passport. So from what we know of the movie, which isn't much, uh, we see in the trailer that he gets a passport taken and... um, Passport photo taken, excuse me. Uh, So what I was doing this weekend was taking people's pictures and putting them on passports next to Peter Parker's. Uh, That is a lot of peas. It is also a lot of talking. I took well over a thousand pictures. They were shared online. We gave away prizes. Um, And actually, uh, considering the fact that we will be, I will be back in two weeks with a Spider-Man episode. I'm actually going to do a little bit of a giveaway. Um, so I'm going to put up a post. Uh, you're going to know which one it has the prizes in it. Uh, it's just a little something from Spider-Man far from home, a little piece of, uh, uh, promotional material, uh, go ahead and, uh, you can, uh, like that picture and you will be entered into the contest. And I guess I will announce it probably during, uh, the episode in two weeks. All right. So go ahead, uh, to my Instagram, which is Ion Ryan at I O N R Y A N, uh, and like that post and, um, yeah, we're just trying to spread the word about this show, uh, really about everybody in the Wee Pod Squad. So, 
yeah, that will be our first little giveaway here. I, I love doing stuff like that. I love getting to know people. I love connecting with people. I love rewarding loyal listeners. Um, but I want to tell a little bit of a story about Wizard World this weekend, something that I thought was actually really cool. You're here and listening to this podcast right now because you're probably interested in something I want to talk about, which is, you know, wrestling or superheroes or toys or technology. Um, and I love kind of that camaraderie that we all get to share in this community. And I just realized this weekend how lucky we are. You know, there's a lot of hobbies out there um, that are kind of like isolating, if you will. Like there's not a place for these people to go and truly celebrate the thing that they love. Or, or what's even worse is there's some people out there who they're so bogged down in the realities and responsibilities of real life that they uh, they don't have time to engage in video games or 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 you know a, a get fanatical about a TV show or go see a midnight screening of a movie. Uh, and I actually had a person come up to me this weekend, um, and she's talking to me, and I can tell that she's interested in everything I have to say about Spider Man and about Wizard World in general and about cosplay and everything in between. And I kind of said like, well, what brought you here? You know, she said, well, I came because my friend and I were supposed to come, but, um, and this is a gut punch here. Uh, my friend passed away and even though I'm not really into this stuff, I I knew that he was excited to come to a comic convention in Philadelphia and, uh, I'm kind of here in his honor and kind of trying to, you know, see the culture that he truly loved. And and I don't know, that just kind of hit me. And she actually came back at the end of the con and said to me, like, I just want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. And I told her, and to me, this was goofy, trivial stuff, but I explained to her about how, why Sony owns Spider-Man and how, you know, Fox used to have the rights to the X-Men to make the movies, but now they don't. And here's what that means. And probably spent a good 15, 20 minutes talking to her in between like all the pictures I was taking on behalf of Sony. And, um, it meant something to her. And, and I, and I hope that, um, I hope whoever you are, whatever your hobby is, I hope that uh, I hope that you have that sense of community. Um, I, I think I briefly plugged it, but um, if you're in Philadelphia, we have a Star Wars toy collecting community. Um, it's a group that uh, my friend Sean and Scott kind of started, and then uh, when it became six or seven or eight of us, uh, we all kind of took it to the next level together. We have merchandise and club hats, and we do these monthly meetups, and when you buy a Star Wars action figure for $500, your wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or mom or dad or best friend may look at you like, you're nut. I can't believe you just bought that for $500. But in our community, we can say, whoa, you got that for $500? Usually that goes for $750. And it's just a place for you to kind of feel understood and appreciated. And uh, that's also, you know, the central goal of, of the We Pod Squad here is that we want to celebrate the things that we're passionate about and we want to share them with you. And it's really a great honor that even if there's just one person out there right now who doesn't have anyone to talk to this stuff, to talk to about this stuff, that they now have the opportunity to listen to this podcast and they can say, yeah, I agree with that or I don't agree with that or whatever. I like that sense of community. Um, the, the Star Wars toy group, uh, if you want to check it out, is Philly Sinister Six. Um, that's P-H-I-L-L-Y Sinister Six. And, and it's the it's the word six, S-I-X, not the number. 
Uh, but yeah, you can go there and you could join our Star Wars or our uh, Marvel group, which our Marvel group has become really DC and WWE and NECA figures and everything in between. So yeah, if you're one of those people in Philadelphia who are looking for a uh, an outlet for this passion and for, for the hobby of toy collecting and you don't have anyone to share it with, man, come be a part of our community, you know, and, and ditto with... I think I, I speak on behalf of everyone at the We Pod Squad. You know, follow along on our Instagram. You know, comment. We'll, we'll talk to you. We'll comment back. DM us. We we love sharing this with people. You know, we we can't share. We can't maybe respond to every message that we get, but just know that we do appreciate you as a fan um, of the podcasts that we produce, and we also just appreciate you as a fellow fan of the properties we love. Alrighty, so yeah, just know that um, this is a community that's centered on a certain level of inclusiveness and camaraderie, and uh, yeah, it just was really amazing to me that this this person went to the comic convention basically in honor of her friend who was unable to make it. You know, he he passed away. Uh, he actually, I think she had said that he passed away right before Endgame came out, which um, not to not to be funny, but that to me is like one of my greatest fears. I remember years ago before lost ended, I was like, Oh my gosh. It's like, I really hope that, uh, I make it to the end of lost. Um, and I know that's really silly, but every day there's somebody out there that doesn't make it to the end of lost or game of Thrones or Avengers. And this is kind of heavy. I apologize if that's the case, but just be grateful. You know, I think a lot of times, we watch the end of a show or a series and we're like, oh, God, you know, I can't believe that they did this with the story, blah, blah, blah. But, man, you know what? We got to watch it and we get to talk to our friends about it and our families about it. And we get to support it. And we get to buy toys and we get to play the video games. And we get to read articles and celebrate that level of fandom. And and the reality is someday, you know, you're not going to make it to the end of a series or a franchise as horrible and crazy as that is. Hopefully for all of us, it's, it's a hundred years down the road. Um, but I don't know, just talking to this person who, who lost somebody that she obviously really cared about and to hear that, that this all meant so much to him. It it made, it made it all mean uh, a little bit more to me too. So yeah, that's my uh, unnecessarily somber take on fandom. Uh, welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, before we get into talking about all elite wrestling in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, I want to talk about something that has intrigued me ever since I was really a kid, uh, and that is box office numbers. Uh, back in the day uh, when there wasn't the internet, now note, I'm only 32, I'm not 72, Alrighty, believe it or not, 15, 20 years ago, it was not easy to get this stuff on the internet, and uh I would actually have to go get it from the newspaper. Now, I can't remember if if it would be in the Sunday newspaper estimates or if it wouldn't be until Monday morning, Um, but they would post the weekend box office numbers. And and I always loved, 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 loved seeing what came out on top, uh, what people put their money into. And remember, this is really before like mega fandom of like the MCU and the return of Star Wars and things like that. Um but I always love box office numbers. Uh, so the box office numbers I want to talk about here real quickly is um, Avengers Endgame. Uh, we're coming up on two months since the movie has been out. And it is barreling towards the worldwide all-time uh, most money ever made record. So it's currently held by Avatar, 
So Avatar made $2.78 billion. Uh, it was the first movie to reach that mark, obviously. Um, it was the high water mark for about a decade now. Um, but Avengers cr- is creeping up behind it with $2.74 billion. So, so what separates them right now is about $40 million. Uh, Avengers is averaging on a weekday about 500000 bucks. And on the weekends, it's getting about a million. Now, I do think it's going to get a bump from Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, excuse me, Far From Home, because we know that the storyline of Far From Home is directly linked to Endgame. And I can't wait in two weeks to talk all about Spider-Man. But it looks like that Endgame within the next, let's say, four weeks will become the highest grossing movie of all time worldwide. Now, what's really interesting about this is it's not going to get that record here in America. The current champ here in America at $936 million is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, Avengers Endgame is actually $830 million. It is not going to make $100 million more million just here in America, unless, of course, they do something with um, deleted scenes, maybe, or they release some sort of updated... I don't know, like 3D, IMAX, 4D kind of version. Uh, There's also a good chance, potentially, that Disney and uh, Marvel do a last-minute push where it says, see Endgame one last time before it leaves theaters. Now, with that said, the only thing that's kind of undermining that, and I'm actually going to pull it up here, is it looks like Avengers is going to be released on DVD and Blu-ray August 2019. Uh, So we're talking six weeks from now, you could own the film to watch it at home. Now, it is actually a little bit confusing because while some sites have reported that it'll be available on digital on July 30th, there's uh, other stories that have implied that it won't be available on digital uh, until December, and they're going to do that as a way to bolster subscriptions to the Disney Plus streaming service. Uh, now, for those of you that don't know, the Disney Plus streaming service is basically going to become Disney's Netflix. Uh, prior to this, and actually right now, you can watch Infinity War on Netflix, the streaming service, uh, but that is no more. Uh, Disney has decided to pull all their content from there. Uh, I guess Jessica Jones is the last uh, Netflix show. That's going on there. You know, last Marvel show that's going on Netflix. And yeah, Avengers Endgame and Captain Marvel will not be heading to Netflix. Okay, they will be exclusive to the Disney Plus streaming service. Now, as I said, it's the guy's uh, CEO's name, Bob Iger. Uh, He implied that it wouldn't be available to stream until December. But I wonder if he's honestly just a little bit confused. Um, But whatever the case is. You're talking about a home release in August. And now I'm also wondering, and it really depends on how much Disney wants to kind of stack the deck to try and win this competition. And listen, it's not underhanded if um, if they do this, because really Star Wars, which was the king of the box office for a couple of months before Titanic took it over. Star Wars became the king of the box office, overtaking E.T. by re-releasing 20 years after it came out, the re-release money counted towards the original Star Wars theatrical box office intake. So that's how it beat that, even though they're very different movies with the special edition and whatnot. So one thing that 
Marvel and Disney could do is they could like put a movie ticket for the Avengers in with the home release and just say like, you know, go see the movie and they can hope that enough of those free tickets will get redeemed and they'll bring along enough people. I don't know why they would do that. Like I said, maybe they'll, maybe they'll put in some sort of deleted scenes or, or, or something, but um, yeah, it, it doesn't look like that Avengers Endgame is going to beat the force awakens here uh, in America. Now worldwide, I just want to kind of break this down for you. Okay. So the top five highest grossing movies of all time, and this is worldwide. This isn't just, this isn't just in America. This is worldwide. Number five is Avengers infinity war uh, with uh, about $2 billion. Okay. A little bit more to uh, 2 billion, $48 million. Alrighty. And uh, that audience, 33% of that uh, was here in America. All right. It's domestic gross was $678 million. Okay. Uh, the fourth highest grossing movie of all time, uh, all time worldwide is Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Uh, so as we said, in America, it made $936 million. Worldwide, it added another $1.1 billion to bring the grand total to $2 billion, uh, $68 billion, $68 million. Sorry, with the billions and millions, it's, it's hard to get through that. So that means that only 54% of its money came from overseas and the other 45% was here in America. Now, uh, the way that stacks up is the number three highest grossing movie of all time worldwide is Titanic. Uh, and that made $2.1 billion. It made $659 million here in America and it made the other $1.5 billion overseas. All right, so that's 70% of the take. Is, is overseas money. Uh, number two, as we said, is Avengers Endgame. And that's currently sitting at $2,742 million. Uh, that's worldwide. Domestically, it's made $830 million, And overseas, it's made $1.9 billion. Again, overseas accounting for 70%, very similar to Titanic. Uh, and then the number one highest grossing movie of all time, which just blows me away. I've never seen it. I've never really met anybody that's been like, oh, I saw it. I love it. It's my favorite movie ever is Avatar. Now, I would love to do a deep dive and maybe down the road I will. Like, wasn't Avatar the movie that they charged like $25 for because it re-ushered in the 3D era of, of movies and AMC and Regal didn't know how to charge for it? Like, I feel like that's kind of accurate because again, the fandom surrounding avatar is borderline non-existent. Uh, listen, if you're the biggest avatar fan in the world, write me, write me right now on Instagram. And I want to do a full blown interview with you. Uh, Cause this is a movie that came out a decade ago and it made $2.7 billion. It made $760 million here in the United States, which was 20% of its total. And it made $2 billion, $27 million overseas, which is um, 72% of its total uh, of the movies in the top 100, uh, excuse me, in the top 10, <laughs> 72% of its money coming from overseas uh, is only eclipsed by uh, Fast and the Furious, which has 77% of its money, Fast and Furious 7, 70, which is so appropriate. Fast and Furious 7 has 77% of its money coming from overseas. Um, 
So yeah, uh, that's just an interesting tidbit to me is that Avengers Endgame uh, will become the highest grossing movie of all time on its own, uh, naturally in due time. And you know, about three and a half months, it'll probably do it. Which, to my knowledge, is uh, let me see if I can actually pull this up. Yeah, so it is doing it way quicker than Avatar did. Uh, Avatar was released in 2009 on uh, looks like December 18th. Its first weekend, it made 137 million. Followed by uh, 146 million, followed by 96, 69, 66, 47, 42, 31, 34, so on and so forth. All right. Um, Avatar, and this is just the domestic numbers. All right. When I say domestic, that means here in America. It took Avatar from December 18th, 2009 until August 12th, 2010. All right. Which is almost an eight month box office run. Uh, it, it, that's how long it took it to make uh, $749 million. That is eight months, guys. Eight months it took that movie to make, uh, s- let's call it $750 million. Do you want to know when Avengers uh, crossed the threshold to make that amount of money? Uh, less than one month after its release. Okay, so uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I'm Maybe I'm prematurely saying that Avengers is not going to beat The Force Awakens. When you consider the fact that it took Avatar eight months, eight whole months to make $750 million and it made, it took Avengers Endgame just a month, one month, one month. If Avengers Endgame sits in theaters until next August, which we know it's not going to, or better yet, I guess, what is, what is eight months after uh, uh, it's released? Is that uh, January, February, March, something like that? Um, it might actually beat The Force Awakens domestically, but it's really just a powerhouse. It's almost uh, unlike anything we've ever seen before. Uh, l- let's take a look real quick domestically at the um, at the Star Wars weeklies. Okay, so uh, what do we say? Uh, Avengers has been out for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks. All right, seven weekends. Okay, and it has made... Uh, eight hundred and twenty-six million dollars here in America. Uh, I think that actually is the actuals of it is a little bit higher, eight eight thirty approximately. So uh, let's see where Star Wars: The Force Awakens was uh, less than two months after its initial release. All right, so Star Wars: Force Awakens uh, in its first week, its first week in release, it made three hundred and ninety million dollars. In its uh, second week. It got up to $651 million. Uh, Avengers Endgame adds relatively similar numbers. Despite the fact that it outgrossed uh, Star Wars Force Awakens by $83 million in its first week, by the end of its second week, the numbers are actually similar. Endgame is at 660. All right. So for those keeping track, after two weeks, Endgame, 660. Star Wars: The Force Awakens, six fifty one. Uh, now this is where they start to kind of fall off of the number a little bit, and that is in its third week. Uh, the highest grossing domestic film of all time, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, after three weeks, had seven hundred and seventy million dollars. Uh, comparably, about thirty million behind Avengers: Endgame had seven hundred and forty one. So after four weeks in release, and again, this is this is where the numbers really start to separate. After four weeks in release, Star Wars The Force Awakens had $825 million. And Avengers Endgame, which is a cultural phenomenon, only had 781. 
Now, the big difference here, okay, the big difference here, the reason that after uh, four weeks, they are now separated by 40 or $50 million is, remember, Star Wars The Force Awakens came out around Christmas. No movies are released in January. Nothing. Nothing is released in January. Okay, and nothing's really released in February either, which means they had Boardwalk and Park Place for two months all to themselves. All right, in the two months that Avengers Endgame's been out, they've had Detective Pikachu. They've had Aladdin. They've had, um, oh goodness, Greg and Sam would kill me because I can't remember all the movies that have come out recently. Um, but, you know, they're going to have Men in Black, which which none of these things are all that. Uh, they're not the box office juggernauts that Avengers Endgame is necessarily, but they they... They take away a little bit of the audience. You know, mom and dad don't have an infinite budget. There's only so many so many movies they can go see. And at this point, knowing that it's coming out on DVD in August, I don't know if I would go to the theater. I was actually thinking today how badly I want to see Endgame one more time. Or again, better yet. I mean, and I'm not sure I'm going to go to the theater again for it. I'd rather just maybe wait the six weeks and watch it in the comfort of my own living room. I have a 4K TV. It's got 3D abilities, all sorts of cool stuff, you know? So, um, yeah, guys, that's where we stand. I just found it to be so interesting that thanks to the worldwide audience, it looks like Avengers Endgame in the next month, month and a half, is going to surpass Avatar as the highest grossing film uh, of all time worldwide. But it's still, it doesn't look like it's going to cross the 3 billion mark. That means there's yet to be a movie that has ever crossed $3 billion. Uh, I guess we'll have to be watching towards the end of the year when uh, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker comes out. Again, they got that December sweet spot. And uh, it's technically the final Star Wars movie ever in a lot of ways. The same way that this Avengers Endgame kind of felt like the last the last Marvel movie. Uh, the last Avengers movie, at least for a while. But who knows, maybe Avengers Endgame will surprise us as people decide to go see it before they see Far From Home, Spider-Man Far From Home. I'll keep you guys posted for the exact day that Endgame passes Avatar, and I'll let you know if any developments come about that are going to allow it to make $1.6, excuse me, uh, $106 million here in America. I just, I don't see it happening. All right, guys, so now we're going to get back into the conversation that we started last week, and that is... With the brand new professional wrestling startup known as AEW, All Elite Wrestling, can learn from the creative and uh, financial decisions made in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, So just to recap, last week we kind of planted the seeds for the fact that the casting of its main characters means so much. Uh, And the best, best comparison that I could possibly make was that Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man gave legitimacy to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But it also posed a massive threat to its long-term sustainability because, as we said, God forbid Robert Downey Jr. got in trouble again. All right, you're without your Iron Man, uh, and you would have to recast, and that would be a massive, massive, massive problem. So all elite professional wrestling, in a way, has the Robert Downey Jr., okay? They have the guy that's giving them instant credibility. Now, why you can make the you can you can make the case that it's definitely like Chris Jericho, who's a former WWE guy, or you can make the case that it's Cody Rhodes, who's the executive vice president of uh, All Elite Wrestling, and also a, a guy with an amazing pedigree. Uh, I decided to compare Robert Downey Jr. as the kind of loose cannon, but 
who has this amazingly dynamic range from comedy to tragedy and and everything in between. I compared that to the man formerly known as Dean Ambrose, who is now known as John Moxley. All right, so step one, AEW has their Iron Man, and it will be John Moxley. What this guy does in AEW, juxtaposing it to what he would have been in WWE, is going to be the key to fans saying, well, look, look what they did with Mox. Look what they did with the guy that we used to know as Dean Ambrose. All right, they made this guy a superstar. This guy's tearing down the house, and he's not handcuffed by the scripts of Vincent Kennedy McMahon and the WWE. All right, so step two, the end credit sequence of Iron Man introduced us to the concept of the Avengers. We knew the Avengers was coming. We also knew behind the scenes that they were working on a variety of films. And we knew that there was a certain inevitability. Now, again, don't confuse this with predictability. It's not predictability. Okay, it's, it, it's, it's inevitability. Two totally different things. And the thing that separates predictability from inevitability is the journey. Okay, so AEW has to set up a few pins that they can knock down down the road. So in this case, uh, I likened it to Hangman Page. He's one of the youngest guys on the roster, and realistically, he's the only member of the elite and the current major AEW uh, heavy hitters, which includes, you know, Chris Jericho, uh, Dean Ambrose, formerly, you know, now known as John Moxley, Cody Rhodes, eventually maybe Marty Scurll, and of course, Kenny Omega, the greatest wrestler on the planet. Um, Adam Page has never held singles gold in in any federation, all right? any notable federation, all due respect to the places that Page has held gold. All right. So we have an inevitability of the journey of the rise of Hangman Page. Now, interestingly, at AEW's um, big next big event. So just to reset the table here for you, AEW unofficially started with All In last September. Okay, that was the record-breaking show. All right, that was the record-breaking show that they sold more than 10,000 tickets to. First time that a non-WWE company has done that in nearly 20 years. All right, January 1st, they announced we are all elite wrestling and we're doing a show called Double or Nothing, all right, where they raised the stakes to 15,000 people. Can a bunch of indie guys who they said couldn't cut it here in North America, could those guys, could those guys who have left WWE because they were underutilized or better yet were never invited to WWE, could those guys sell 15,000 tickets to Las Vegas, to the MGM Grand, to one of the most famous venues in all of America where some of the most incredible boxing matches in the history of that sport have taken place. Could they do it? Yeah, they did. They did it. They sold 15,000 tickets. They sold out the show and AEW's first official show was double or nothing. Okay. Now coming up on their schedule, they have uh, an event called fighter fest, which I'm actually really excited. If you haven't watched wrestling, if you haven't watched AEW, I'm so happy to tell you fighter fest is going to be available for free 
via Bleacher Report Live. All right, keep an eye on my Instagram and and my webpage, ionryan.com. I'm going to tell you exactly how to watch it for free, and you're going to get your first taste of AEW. Uh, They're also doing another show, which not many people know about, uh, details about yet. It's called Fight for the Fallen, I believe. Uh, And that's actually, and get this, because I love this, all right? I, uh, listen, I, I, well, I always say to my friends and my, my fans on this, this outlet, it's plastic, not politics. Okay. Um, I never talk politics, but in my real life, I'm a very political guy. And one of the choices that I've made in my life is, is, is guns, right? I, I have my own opinion on them and I'm not really a big gun guy. And it always drove me nuts that I had to wear this bullet club shirt. Cause I wanted to support these guys that I love, and I had to have two AK-47s on the front of the shirt. All right. Never settled well with me. Uh, again, I'm not going to tell you what your opinion should be on on firearms. I know what my opinion is. Uh, I always laugh because people would see those and be like, hey, man, sweet. What kind of guns you got? I'm like, none. You know, um, whatever. I'm not going to. I said, I'm not going to chastise you for having those beliefs uh, to each their own. I respect that. But I, it never set, settled well with me to have two big AK-47s from the Bullet Club logo uh, on my T-shirt. Okay, so I kind of love that they're doing this whole thing, this whole event that actually supports the victims of gun violence in Jacksonville. Uh, I just think that's awesome. I don't think they're doing it necessarily because they were at one point the Bullet Club. Uh, I think they're doing it, you know, to pay back to the Jacksonville community, which has been affected by gun violence. Uh, But whatever the case is, um, there's those two middle shows, all right? There's Fighter Fest, and then there's uh, Fight for the Fallen. And then the next big show, is all out, all right? They they did all in, now they're going all out, okay? Do you want to hear something amazing about all out, about this AEW, about why we're even talking about it right now, about why we're talking about them in the same breath as the WWE, which has been the WWE for 40 plus years, which has really beat every other competitor that's ever stepped up to the plate. Do you want to know why we're talking about AEW in the same breath as WWE? Because when tickets went on sale for All Out this past Friday, all right, what was that, June 14th? Okay, it was a 10,000-person arena. They're going back to the Sears Center in Chicago. Do you know how many people entered the virtual queue to buy tickets? 65,000. They could have sold out the building six times over. And if you imagine that each one of those people was planning on buying two tickets because they're not going to a wrestling show alone, they could have sold out Soldier Field. Twice. All right. So this is a company that hasn't even had its second official show yet. And the demand for their tickets is so darn high right now. Okay. Based on really those first two things we talked about. John Moxley. John Moxley's taking on Kenny Omega. You never heard of Kenny Omega? I understand. Well, Kenny Omega fought in Japan and he went against their world champion, Okada. They had four matches. All right, Dave Meltzer, the preeminent pro wrestling journalist of our time. Okay, he has a he has a five star ranking system. Okay, he says your match was one star or your match was five stars. Okay, the number of uh, five star matches is mm, uh, in the past thirty years is probably about thirty. Okay, do you want to know what the first match that Kenny Omega and Okada got? The first match that they had, what was the star rating? Go ahead, guess. On a scale of one to five. Trick question. It was six. 
Okay. Their fourth matchup, their fourth and final matchup, got seven stars. All right. Kenny Omega is the best wrestler on the planet, followed by Okada. Okay. These guys are no joke. And now, at All Out, one of the headlining matches is John Moxley, formerly known as Dean Ambrose, taking on the greatest professional wrestler in all of North America and maybe the world, Kenny Omega. All right, what's also on that card uh, that, that, that show's happening Labor Day weekend is the man we just talked about, Adam Page, the young upstart from the elite, a member of uh, the elite of the Bullet Club, uh, and one of the founding members of AEW. It's him versus the future WWE Hall of Famer, one of the greatest to ever lace up his boots, the guy who is the king at reinventing himself, Chris Jericho. Okay, those two guys are going to go head-to-head and the winner of that match is the AEW World Champion. Now, I'm not going to get into predictions yet. If Paige wins that belt, awesome. 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 I'm proud of him. Okay? He deserves that belt. If he doesn't, though, that's one of those little dashes of inevitability. A journey we're about to go on. How in the world does young Hangman Page transform himself from the contender that lost to the champion, okay? So that's that's one thing to keep your eye on. Alrighty, so uh, that's basically the recap of last week. All right, now on to this week, the third thing. The third thing I want to talk about is Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2. All right, both of these movies, Marvel Cinematic Films, and uh, two notable things happened uh, before or and, and after these movies. Uh, and that is The Incredible Hulk was well-played, by Edward Norton. This was supposed to be the second movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, okay? And uh, sometime between the release of that film and the production of Avengers, they decided that they were going to replace Ed Norton, all right? And Mark Ruffalo has done an amazing job as Bruce Banner. I couldn't even imagine Ed Norton in the MCU anymore, all right? But he poured his heart and soul into The Incredible Hulk, and uh, he got recast. All right, in the same way in Iron Man 2, um, Terrence Howard, who, you know, when he got cast in Iron Man, he was coming off a of hustle and flow. I mean, that's a movie that was in contention for Oscars. All right, I mean, that was a movie about a, a rapper. Uh, he killed it. I, I love, love, love that movie. And Terrence Howard went on to have a very successful career. I mean, Empire was one of the top shows on television. Uh, for Philly fans, we all know that Terrence Howard narrated the Phillies uh, 2008 DVD. All right, but they got rid of Terrence Howard and they replaced him with Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle became Roadie. He he became he became War Machine later. You know he got to don the War Machine sh- uh, suit. He he what he did the whole Iron Patriot thing. All right, so what can AEW learn from this? Well, it's a lesson they've already had to learn, and I'll be honest, they didn't necessarily stick the landing, and that is that things change, that people change, that. For whatever reason, one way, one, for one reason or another, you're not always going to be able to get the people you want and need. So, so the way that this happened was back at Double or Nothing, uh, they were going to start the championship program for the inaugural AEW championship uh, when they were having a match of Hangman Adam Page versus uh, Neville. All right, now, well, his, now, his name is now Pac, P-A-C, Pac. Uh, but he used to be Adrian Neville, and then he was later just Neville in the WWE. And the guy's a little, a little, little fire, a little, f- 
fire plug, spark plug. God, what do they call those guys that are tiny, short and muscular? Whatever you call them, that's what Neville was. All right. And not only that, he played a jerk really, really, really well. Okay. He, he's mean. He comes off as so mean, so mean. (laughs) And so for double or nothing, they were going to have that match. The two would be superstars. Okay. We're going to, we're going to duke it out. And, uh, the winner of that was either going to become the AEW champion or the number one contender. And uh, something happened. They couldn't use Neville. They couldn't use Pac. All right. Now, was it behind the scenes politics? Was it actual American politics with this whole visa situation where immigrants are having a difficult time getting into the country? I, I don't know. I don't know. But Pac, who's who's a resident of the UK uh, at the last minute, was no longer on double or nothing. You know, and that's that's what we're all gonna have to learn at some point in our lives is is how do you replace someone who seems a little bit um irreplaceable? Okay, uh, Marvel did it. Marvel did it because of course they did. That that's what this whole darn thing is about. The the Marvel is is borderline unstoppable. Oh, you don't got Ed Norton now. We're just gonna go get Mark Ruffalo. Uh, oh, you don't have you know one of the greatest up and coming actors in Terrence Howard. Nah, let's go get the guy that uh, just killed it in hotel Rwanda. And let's go get Don Cheadle. We're, we're, we're good. We're good. Now, now AEW in the first, their first stumble, um, they didn't do a good job with replacing Neville. Uh, they ended up sticking Adam page in a kind of ridiculous, uh, battle Royal. And that's how he won the number one contendership, uh, to the world, the soon to be world title for AEW. Uh, so, but AEW is going to have to do a better job of that in the future. All right, they're going to have to, they're going to have to replace their their Nortons and their Terrence Howards with, with Ruffalos and with uh, with Don Cheadles when they lose someone. You know, because it's not just always going to be work visas or creative differences. I, we have guys tear ACLs, right? And that happens in wrestling. Okay, it, it happens in sports. The Phillies just lost their center fielder Andrew McCutcheon to an ACL. All right. He's going to be out until God knows when. Uh, hopefully, we see him playing baseball by next July, right? He's an older guy, a little hard to re- recover from an injury like that, okay? And and that's that's one thing AEW has to learn to do, is they have to learn how to pivot, how to pivot, okay? So, so number four on my list here, and this is an Iron Man 2 thing, okay? And this woman, this woman is is, is an icon, okay? And that's Black Widow. Scarlett Johansson, all right, one of the most beautiful women on the planet, who also happens to be one of the most talented actresses on the planet. All right, she comes into the MCU in Iron Man 2, all right, and we see with her, both in her role in Iron Man 2 and later in everything that she did with Captain America and obviously in the Avengers, um, that women are just as important to storytelling, to epic storytelling, they're, they're just as important and just as capable as men are, right? And the superhero world had been dominated by men. All right, I mean, we got a little bit of Catwoman in uh, in Batman, right? Uh, in Batman, what was that? The Dark Knight Rises, okay? Got a little bit of that. Black Widow, man, she did it. She, she came into the MCU and she basically said, boys, I'm here to play and, you know, I'm just as good if not better than you. Am I right? Uh, and the doors that that woman opened... Uh, to the other to the other heroes, I mean, Scarlet Witch, dude, Captain Marvel, dude, right? Gwyneth Paltrow's character, what was her name? Rescue in uh, in Endgame, dude. Uh, Wasp, 
dude. You know, women are massively, massively important. I mean, come on, man. Uh, they're 50% of the global audience. Okay. I think it's actually 51% of the planet is women, right? You want to make money. You want to be successful. All right. You want to have an audience that, that reaches outside your typical demographic of, you know, what the 18 to 34 year old male. Okay. You want to transcend, uh, pop culture or, you know, and you want to get into the mainstream, you want to reach outside your art form and find new members of this audience. You got to have women. You got to have women that can kick butt. And Black Widow did that in the MCU. And every woman that has followed in her footstep uh, has has lived up to that. Okay. So AEW has to consider that. It took WWE 40 years before they started taking women seriously. All right, and then they put Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair in the main event of WrestleMania this year. Now, the problem with that is uh, they also did a you know nine-and-a-half-hour WrestleMania, and by the time that the match that should have blown the roof off the joint and the ultimate celebration and culmination of these women's journey from being two-minute bathroom breaks on, on wrestling television to the main event of WrestleMania should have meant more, but it didn't because WWE dropped the ball. All right, they put them at the end of a nine-hour show, 12-hour show, whatever it is, man. It, it, it was terrible. It was terrible. All right, and not the match. I don't blame the women. It was just the booking. That was terrible. And you know what? Since then, they, they've struggled to build the women's division properly, okay? Uh, and it's only a matter of time before WWE makes the women an afterthought again, okay? AEW. Uh, has a secret weapon. Her name is Brandy Rhodes. All right, that is the 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 five alarm fire, a beautiful and brilliant wife of Cody Rhodes. All right, this woman is is the chief brandy officer. Right, the chief brand officer. She is the CBO. I guess that would be. All right, and she understands what women want out of professional wrestling. She understands what to look for in female performers. In addition to that, and this blew my mind, the man whose praises I continue to sing, Kenny Omega, he was the one that came up with the names of the women that uh, AEW was bringing in from China, saying, check this one out, check this one out, check this one out, all right? So AEW can harness the power of female viewership, all right? WWE tried to do it with Total Divas. Uh, if I'm a woman, that's a slap in the face. Oh, oh, you're going to market to me because I like drama? No, dude, market to me. Because like Black Widow in the MCU, this chick is awesome. Okay, so AEW's current women's roster, uh, and I'm going to plead a little bit of ignorance here, okay, is basically they have a lot of unknowns coming in from uh, uh, from China, okay? That, that seems to be who their partnership is with. Um, uh, but they also have Britt Baker, who, uh, P.S., is a dentist, Okay, that woman's been through more schooling, twice as much schooling than most people I know. All right. She doesn't have to wrestle. She just likes it. And you know what? She's good at it. All right. She is a great person to build around. All right. Dr. Britt Baker. All right. She is fantastic. Uh, The other woman uh, who has a little bit of an uphill battle. I say that with all due respect because I love her. Her name is Kylie Ray. All right, Kylie Ray is a very talented wrestler. If you really, it doesn't even take that long. Like, and you know, whatever. She's a public figure. It's not all that creepy. Scroll back on her Instagram to like two years. Okay. Scroll back like two years. And this girl doesn't know if she's going to make it. 
in professional wrestling. She doesn't know how she's going to make it. You, you could see on her Instagram two or three years ago, you know, first day of training, maybe, maybe it was four years ago, first day of training. And now here she is. She's working for WWE's chief rival. All right. And she's one of the featured women. And in a lot of ways, she's probably going to be one of the featured baby faces, right? That, that's the word for good guy. Okay. Uh, and then you have, uh, what is her name? Nyla Rose. She wrestled on double or nothing. Um, and she is a massive woman. All right. And that's great. You need the muscle. You need the size. All right. She was met by Karma, uh, who a lot of people know is Awesome awesome Kong. Excuse me. WWE, she was Karma. Awesome Kong. Uh, and she actually, it's the actress that plays, uh, what's her name? The Welfare Queen on the show Glow. Uh, she came out of retirement, basically. I don't know if she's going to be a full-time wrestler for AEW. It looks like that that could be the case. That's a solid foundation with those four. Then you got the unknowns coming in from uh, from China, where um, you have a massive population of women uh, who their star power in their country, uh, maybe it's not as big here, but over there it is. And so if they can if they can come over to North America and then eventually worldwide and break the barriers and become some of the biggest names in women's wrestling and some of the most well-known names, more power to them. So there it is. AEW has to learn how to promote awesome women the same way the MCU did. So the next movies to come out in the MCU were Thor and Captain America. Now, what's important to learn from these characters, as we just saw play out in Endgame, is you have to create a lineage. You have to create an origin. You have to plant seeds in the beginning and let them pay off in the end, even if it's years down the road. Uh, Captain America, spoiler alert for Endgame. Why are you listening to this if you have not seen that movie yet? Um, But Captain America, his final story in Endgame, it ties back directly to what we saw in the first movie. Uh, And I mean, there was practically 10 years between the beginning of that story and the end, you know, Thor in, in the same way, we all kind of knew Thor. We kind of knew he's like this, like Greek God myth kind of thing, you know, but like maybe we didn't know about the relationship he had with Loki, right? Uh, The movie really unpacked those relationships, obviously in Captain America, the Winter Soldier story. I mean, that spanned every single movie. You know, there's still people out there that think that uh, the MCU didn't do the Winter Soldier justice, and and maybe to a certain degree, I uh, maybe to a certain degree, I agree, and I look forward to hopefully seeing more in his uh, Disney Plus TV show uh, if there's going to be one of those if that pans out. Um, but that's where there's something to. Uh, that's where there's something to learn for AEW, right? Is to take all of these people and to help us understand what's important to them, right? E- even if it's the Young Bucks, okay? The Young Bucks are an exceptionally well-known part of AEW. If you're watching AEW, you already know who the Young Bucks are. But we have to know that the same way that when you went to see Captain America, it's not like, oh, who's this guy? Like, come on, we all knew who Captain America kind of was. Truth, justice, the American way. We needed to have that those minute little details, right? We needed to have the things that that would pay off later. So, so whether it's the Young Bucks or Cody Rhodes or, or a brand new upstart, uh, like who's his name? Uh, Sammy Guerrero. Is that his name, right? Um, from AEW, like we need to understand what's important. 
to these people, what's important to their journey. We have to understand that when things come up from their past, okay, that, uh, that it's important. All right. There's nothing better in storytelling than rewarding people who have been loyal to you from the very beginning and saying, look, here's that thing. Here's that thing that we planted the seed for, or here's that thing you've been wondering if it was, if it was going to come back. I mean, come on. We saw that with the infinity stones, right? There, there's infinity stones in, 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 in several of the MCU movies. Okay. And they didn't beat you over the head and say, this is an infinity stone. Pay attention. This is an infinity stone. Pay attention. They just brought it back eventually. And you said, Ooh, 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 that's what that is. Huh? And they traveled, they time traveled in Endgame back to those important moments in those previous films, right? AEW, uh, as using the storytelling uh, art form of professional wrestling, they can they can work on these types of relationships, right? They they can work on the complexity of of Captain America and Winter Soldier or, or Thor and Loki or. You know, I guess maybe not so much with parents or with family the way that, you know, they did in Thor, but they can build on alliances, broken alliances, strained alliances, right? That's where you can create this storytelling consistency and where AEW has the benefit that, that no other wrestling company has right now is they have a blank slate, okay? There's not a story that, that's, oh, remember when you dropped the ball with that story six years ago? Or, or hey, what about, no, no, the first time AEW comes to the TNT Network in fall of 2019, that's the beginning of their story. Now, they may be, back, they may be able to, like, harken back to some things, like the way that they put in Easter eggs for comic book fans, you know, a wink and a nudge. Hey, remember this from New Japan? Hey, remember this from Ring of Honor, right? They can do that, but they have this blank slate, and that, that's what Thor and that's what Captain America, those films, that's what they were. It was a blank slate. They said, hey, this is our friend Thor. He's the god of thunder, right? Okay, this is our friend Captain America, you know, good old Steve Rogers, Okay, and we got to meet the new version of Captain America and how he was going to function in that universe and how Thor was going to function in that universe and how their relationships were going to matter to the overall story. So that's what AEW can learn. That's what it can learn from Thor and Captain America is how to build a character. Even if you think we're familiar with them the same way we were with Thor and Captain America, How do they function in your story? How do they function in the AEW story? I guess we'll find out. We're now at like the halfway point of this list, which is number six. And we have arrived at the Avengers. The Avengers brought all of our heroes together. Okay. It was teamwork. It was, it was allegiances being built. Okay. And it also introduced what I like to call the eminent threat. It's so hard to remember now that Captain America and Iron Man and Thor and Hulk and Hawkeye and Black Widow weren't all best friends from the beginning of this movie. Okay, like we think about where they were at an endgame and that they would sacrifice their lives and, and themselves to save these other people. Okay, but we when we first watched Avengers... It was the first time that we were seeing all of these people together, which is 
mind-blowing. Go back and watch the Avengers and just be like, dude, look how far we've come, right? But they laid the groundwork through, what was it? One, two, three, four, five films. And the sixth one was the Avengers. They took their time getting there and it made the whole experience so much more satisfying when they all kind of finally met in the middle. All right. And the way that they did that was they created a common enemy. We must stop Loki or he's going to destroy everything we know. And that's that's what AEW is going to have to do. Now, I'm not saying they're going to do an invasion angle with New Japan professional wrestling, although I think it would be a truly fantastic idea to have a partnership there. Okay. But they need to take all of these individuals who have been on this individual journey and eventually show uh, why they're all AEW at the core. Okay. That was one of the backbones of ECW for better or worse. Okay. When ECW was around 25 years ago, and I guess this is kind of where the WWE kind of comes back into it. All right, ECW 25 years ago had guys like Raven and Tommy Dreamer and Sandman and Rob Van Dam and Sabu and Taz and the franchise Shane Douglas, okay? Now, all of those people were not friends. They oftentimes fought each other, but there was, there was a common thread where it says, well, we're going after the big guys, all right? We're going to compete against WCW. We're going we're gonna to compete against WWE. We're going to change the game. All right, and I guess that's where you can draw the parallels between Avengers and AEW, okay? Is that you have all of these individuals coming together really to go after WWE. I mean, there's wrestling fans out there that are going to say to me, Rye, can't we just love all forms of wrestling? Yes. Yes, you can. As the consumer, we can go see Marvel movies and DC movies, Okay. As as the viewer, we can kind of be like, oh, we kind of like Loki, even though we're obviously rooting for the Avengers, right? That's where AEW can kind of learn from the MCU, okay? These individuals coming together to defeat a common foe, all right? And as we said, the viewers, the consumers, the fans, we can still like both, okay? But it's the motivation to say, we're going to do this. We are going to do this. We're going to take over. We're going to stop. We're going to stop them. We're going to beat them. We're going to win. Okay. However you want to frame it, right? This isn't life or death. It's not. We're talking about professional wrestling. We're talking about professional wrestling. That's bankrolled by two billionaires in Vince McMahon and Tony Khan. All right. What it ends up, what ends up happening with the two individual companies uh, financially or otherwise uh, isn't all that important in our day-to-day lives, but some friendly competition is always kind of a good thing. And, and I really think, and we saw it, and this is a little bit off topic, but like the DC movies, okay? Like they rebooted some things. They changed some things. The reason they did that was because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and their like seemingly infinite success at that point, okay? Like they felt the pressure, all right? They, they And this is like a meta narrative, I guess, but like they felt the pressure of the power of those individual movies and those individual actors and directors and screenwriters and the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are pulling together uh, these million and million and million and million and billion dollar franchises, right? 
All right. And DC has said, well, we're going to try this instead. We're going to try this instead. That's just the nature of competition. I said, this is like a meta perspective on things, but that that's where AEW can kind of learn from the Avengers from, as I said, a, a meta standpoint. All right. Is that even though we're going to have good guys and bad guys and, and maybe on the show in the context of the show, similar to the Avengers versus Loki, they're going to be against one another. Uh, the view from a thousand feet in the air is really not the Avengers versus Loki, but the Avengers versus the justice league. All right. The Marvel versus DC. And at the end of the day, it's AEW versus WWE. So, uh, that would be interesting to see how, they pull that off for AEW. I mean, I don't think it's that hard. You got guys like Chris Jericho and Cody Rhodes and John Moxley. And more recently, a guy like Ty Dillinger, who's now Sean Spears. And there's a rumor out there that, um, that dozens, maybe upward of a dozen people want out of the WWE, that they're willing to sacrifice the comfort and the paycheck, uh, to no longer have to work. 200 days a year for a 70 some year old man who thinks he's a genius. <laughs> all right. I mean, there's people that want out and they want to go over to the other side. All right. This is, this is Chris Evans going from the, uh, from the uh, human torch guy in fantastic four to boom. I'm captain America. All right. This is, <laughs> this is, you know, Ryan Reynolds going from green lantern to, to Deadpool. Okay. This is, these are people that are going to be recast in new roles in this in this battle for an industry. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they approach that. Next up is uh, what I would call genre bending and risk taking. All right. So three movies uh, to talk about here is you have Thor and Captain America 2. Okay. And we're actually going to jump right to Thor 3 because goodness gracious, despite the fact that I liked it, I haven't seen Thor 2 in forever. All right, but but Captain America 2, which is The Winter Soldier, uh, it's a spy movie. It's a spy movie. They they leave so many of the uh, core principles of a superhero movie, uh, they leave them at the door. You know, there's no gigantic uh, threat necessarily um, that's going to, you know, swallow the world whole. And this was perfect, uh, by the way, from uh, from a post-Avengers perspective, when you consider the fact that, like, Avengers was literally about another uh, group of people from another galaxy, basically, coming in to destroy the world. The stakes pretty much never get higher than that, right? But Captain America Winter Soldier found a way to do it, okay? They, they found a way to keep the stakes high. They found a way to keep... Uh, everyone invested and they did so really through the lens of like a spy espionage kind of thriller. Right. I mean, that fight between captain America and the winter soldier is, is although, you know, they don't fly off and fight in space. It's, it's just as interesting as, as anything you'll see in a superhero movie, right? You're just as invested. And that's where, now, like I said, I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but like Thor three, like, and that, really brings us into guardians of the galaxy. And this is the genre blending and risk taking, by the way, these were two separate things, but as I look at my notes, I feel like they're the same. So I'm kind of winging it, but like comedy comedy became a part of the MCU in a way that we've never seen before. 
Uh, obviously, of course, they've been funny movies, but like Thor 3 and Guardians of the Galaxy are like comedies. Oh, and P.S. They basically take place in space. Okay, that's not a place that the MCU had really gone before. Well, I mean, you talk about getting Guardians of the Galaxy off the ground and people are like, you're nuts. What are you talking about? Star-Lord? Who? I mean, maybe that was a little bit of a of a wink and a nod in the uh, in the movie, you know, when he says I'm Star Lord, uh, you know, and they say who like nobody knew who Star Lord or Gamora or Drax or freaking Rocket Raccoon or Groot were. I mean, the hardcores did, but nobody was saying, "Ooh." there wasn't millions of people saying, "Ooh." OK, the amount of people that saw that movie far exceeded the amount of people that knew who they were prior to that film. Right. And and as we said, Thor, we're out of order here by talking about Thor three, but like that movie was a little bit of a comedy. All right. And if not, it was, it was at least like kind of like almost a space movie. All right. They, the MCU has never been afraid to take that risk. And do you know why? Cause they know that you love the characters and even if the movies aren't perfect, which like PS, if you're ranking the top three to five to 10 best MCU movies, depending on who you talk to, if you take out the Avengers and say so you have to rank the three, maybe most entertaining MCU movies. I don't know. I can make an argument that Winter Soldier, Thor three and Guardians of the Galaxy one are one, two, and three in some order for the most interesting films in the MCU that aren't Avengers films. Uh, you're not, you know, are you going to disagree with me? Are you pounding the hood of your car? You know, the dashboard of your car right now saying, no, 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 no. I think you're like, oh, I don't know. I really like Thor three. I laughed a lot in that movie. And I really enjoyed that, you know, the character development of the Hulk. And I really enjoyed all the creatures and monsters. I mean, holy moly, is this Star Wars? You know, ditto on, on Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah, some over-the-top uh, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff with 90s music or 80s music or 70s music, excuse me, mixed in. What? Like, uh, we didn't necessarily see anything like that, something that was that propelled by the soundtrack. But they took the risk, and they did it. And you know what? It worked. And, and, and Guardians of the Galaxy 1 is phenomenal, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is phenomenal. And and I'm very glad to hear that James Gunn is back for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Okay, but they took risks. Captain America, you know, right after Avengers, uh, you could have done anything you wanted with Captain America. But instead, you're like, uh, let me tell a really heartfelt story about his past. And let me let me go into, you know, some of the tropes of a spy and espionage film. All right, let me let me take these characters and, you know, throw Black Widow in there and, and really, really tell a good story. And uh, that's what they did. All right. They they tried something new. So, of course, that's what AEW has got to do. That's what they got to try. I mean, you turn on your television, you watch Monday Night Raw, and there is comedy mixed in there. All right. There's also some bad melodrama. If, if you're one of the older lapsed fans, you remember that, like, every six months there would be a story about a wedding or a pregnancy or something crazy and goofy. I mean, is AEW going to do that? I don't know, you know, but, but kind of hopefully not like the second that we have a wedding on AEW, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. But if they do something like I had mentioned last week, Chikara, uh, they told this whole story, uh, about the company 
getting closed down, right? The, the company we talked about last week owned by Mike Quackenbush, um, they told a story that in the middle of their show, um, a storyline conglomerate that was taking them over shut them down. And the lights went out and they kicked every fan out of the venue and they disappeared. They went away. They closed the doors of the company in order to tell this storyline. It was the ultimate risk. And when they came back, that this really deserves a whole podcast of its own. They basically did a movie and they coupled it with a live TV show. And at the end of the live show, characters showed up in a DeLorean from the past or the future. And I don't even fully remember, but they did time travel and professional wrestling. All right. They, they blended a genre. They took a risk and AEW. Um, I think they've done a good job of that to this point through their uh, YouTube show being the elite. I mean, hangman page was haunted by Joey Ryan, right? But they're going to have to bring that to TNT television in a way that, uh, isn't silly or goofy, okay? The same way that none of us looked at Thor Ragnar- that Thor 3, Thor Ragnarok, and said, this isn't worth my time. No, we were invested every step of the way. Even when it was funny, it was never silly. It was never dumb. It was never, oh, this is, this is, you know, this is stupid. No, it was great. Everything in Thor worked. And AEW is going to have to hit on those same beats, right? Because you're not going to be able to tell a show, to tell a story 52 weeks a year of, I want to fight you. I want to fight you too. Let's fight. It's not going to work. You're going to have to add in some different stakes and you're going to have to do so by telling different types of stories. And I believe that they're capable of that because WWE has done that for years. They just haven't done it particularly well. Okay, I mean, WWE has had supernatural elements, you know, they've had they've had people from space or the future, right? With like Max Moon 25, 30 years ago. Okay, they've done love stories. As I said, they've done pregnancies, they've done relationships, they've done all all these different types of stories that we're familiar with. They've done. They just haven't done them particularly well. And so now right now, the crux of AEW is we all want an opportunity and we all want to fight. Well, they're going to have to find a way to take the risks, to tell the stories, and hopefully they pay off in the same way that they did in Winter Soldier and Thor Ragnarok and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. The next thing they can learn from the MCU is how to break your heroes, right? How to break their hearts and how to break them apart. And how to do so in a way that leaves us cheering for both. All right, Avengers 2 is Tony Stark's movie. And it's Bruce Banner's movie, right? Above almost all else. In Avengers 2, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner create Ultron. And Ultron then destroys the world, or at least tries to. By the same token, Hulk loses it. And you find out that he is capable of immense destruction and he loses faith in himself to control that. And that, that sets off the events of, you know, the aforementioned for Thor three. So we're talking a little bit out of order there, but in addition to that, it also opens up Tony's eyes to the fact that they're not doing enough to protect the world from themselves. And that creates uh, really what happens in civil war are two heroes that we absolutely positively adore in, in Iron Man and Captain America. Dude, they don't agree anymore. And even though we love them both and we don't want to see either one of them 
you know, hurt or in trouble, we also understand that, yeah, man, sometimes you just, you got to deal with the cards that you've been dealt. And if that means basically feuding with someone who ultimately maybe could or should be your BFF, uh, that's okay too. Like that is where the MCU took the ultimate risk and, and it paid off by doing Spider-Man. Excuse me. I got Spider-Man on the brain by doing Iron Man versus Captain America. Okay. Now for those of you guys that don't realize with this whole all elite wrestling thing, uh, the guys behind it, the executive vice presidents, they used to be called the elite. And before that they were called the bullet club. All right. So in theory, the biggest names in all elite wrestling are all friends. All right. Cody and Kenny and the young bucks and hangman page. They're friends. We just, we want to see them get along. We love their hijinks. We watch them on their weekly YouTube show being the elite. But at a certain point, you're going to have to break them. And you're going to have to do so uh, in a way that allows fans maybe to cheer for both. All right, because you're leaving big money on the table if you make one of these guys too bad, right? You also run into a problem where uh, WWE has this problem. Fans believe that Stephanie McMahon and, and her husband, Triple H, are they're going to be the saving grace of WWE once Vince leaves, right? That's Stephanie is Vince's daughter, so she's the heir to the throne, and her husband, Triple H, has been in the business for 30 years, and Triple H runs the NXT product out of Orlando, and it's borderline flawless, and eventually he's going to bring that to national television when he takes over WWE, you know, when Vince retires and moves to wherever Vince McMahon wants to move to, okay? Uh, But the problem is, on screen, Stephanie and Triple H are bad guys all the time, all right? And that undermines so much, all right? It undermines what you see on screen, and depending on how much you buy into what you see on on the screen, it undermines all the charity work that they do on the outside, right? So if, if these four main guys we've talked about, Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes, and the Young Bucks, are all going to be the executive vice vice presidents that we want to support and believe in. They're going to have to be good guys or when they become bad guys, you're not going to be able to put them on the charity shows or have them doing the local press. I just, I think that they want to embody an old school mentality where, um, you know, they want to, I had mentioned the word kayfabe before, Oh, describing this is going to be a little bit challenging, but basically it's kind of the, it's the suspension of disbelief, right? Is, is kayfabe is the art of making everyone believe and living it. So if you're a bad guy on the screen, all right, to keep kayfabe alive, you may be, you may not sign a kid's autograph because you're a bad guy on the screen, right? So I think that uh, Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega and the young bucks, I think that they respect that to a certain degree. And that's where they're going to have to learn from from our, our MCU here, right? Is in Civil War, we take two of the most beloved characters of all time and we we pit them against each other. And they're going to have to do that. And we still love them both at the end, right? We still do. We're still praying that they're going to get back together. All right? All Elite Wrestling is going to have to do that. At a certain point, Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes are going to have to fight each other. You know, at a certain point, the young bucks might break up. I mean, there, there, there's a few years age difference between them. One of them might want to keep going. 
when the other one might want to retire, right? You don't know what their priorities are. They're, they're both individuals. One of them might want to leave. Okay. One of them, you know, uh, maybe has a little bit of a health problem. Okay. You know, maybe breaks a leg or something. What the young bucks do is crazy. It's a blessing that it's only been Matt Jackson's back. That's been hurt for two years. You know, we, we love the young bucks, but they might have to fight each other eventually. All right. And we want to do so in a way that one of them isn't playing a dollar store discount bin villain. Oh, I'm evil. Okay. I guess, you know, but we kind of love you. The same way that we love Captain America and love Iron Man, we just understand that disputes happen, right? That that sometimes it's, it's hard. It's hard to compromise. It's hard to agree. Uh, we can totally, come on, man. We all have a family, right? We all know we don't all get along all the time. So AEW will find a way, hopefully, the same way that the MCU did, to really break up the family a little bit without totally vilifying and undermining the credibility of their on-screen uh, and behind-the-scenes product, all right? And then, like I said, going back to the whole breaking our heroes, um, what happens to Tony Stark in 1, 2, and 3, the Avengers films, is, as I said last week, one of the most amazing cinematic trans- transformations of all time, right? Um, the guy goes into space. He's going to sacrifice himself, in Avengers one and everything's changed. Okay. Avengers two, he tries to make good and he actually makes the situation worse. All right. Then Avengers three and subsequently Avengers four, you know, end game. He obviously rectifies all of that. Uh, but the Hulk, uh, becomes a destructive force and he almost, and he does, he destroys a city and hurts a lot of people. He was a broken man and he goes, to a far off planet and and what if what if Thor and and Loki never discover him right what happens to, to poor Hulk okay i mean he just lives up there being a gladiator for the rest of his days uh but that's what avengers 2 did so well is it broke our characters and that's such a good thing you know we we all want and that that's the difference between the 22 film Marvel cinematic universe and, you know, a TV show where at the end of a procedural TV show, a lot of times the characters are no different, right? Law and order. I mean, they're deeply affected by the events of the horrors that are playing out in front of them. Uh, But at the end of the episode, they got the bad guy and everything's over. And for the most part, not much has changed, right? That's not great storytelling. All right. So that, that's one thing that I also hope that we see in AEW is that, Things happen that fundamentally change people. All right. And again, that ties in a little bit to the inevitability of everything. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's we need them to be on a collision course with their destiny. Okay, we need to know that they're flawed and broken people. All right. That's the best part of the journey. They can't just all be awesome rock stars who win almost every match coming right out of the gate. All right, we have to tell a story where our characters come close and then fall. Like I said, I think of Hangman Page. We had talked about him earlier. He has a world title match in in AEW's next massive pay-per-view on Labor Day weekend. If he wins, I mean, that's cool. But if he loses, is there a more interesting story to tell there? I think so. And we're running a little bit long here right now, and I actually have to run out and make an awesome purchase of Star Wars toys. Um, so I want to wrap it up with this idea. AEW needs a plan. 
That's where the Marvel Cinematic Universe excelled. That's where it had success beyond anything any of us could have imagined. As they said, here's phase one, here's phase two, here's phase three, here's phase four. All right, these are the movies that are coming out. This is when they're coming out. This is what you can expect. And that was awesome, right? I mean, when when Black Panther and Spider-Man show up in Civil War, you're like, what? Oh my God, I can't wait to see their movies. And we did, we saw their movies, right? You know, you need a plan behind the scenes for all of your wrestlers. Now, I believe that AEW does have a plan. I believe that they have a general idea of who's going to be their world champion for probably the next 12 to 18 months. I do, I believe that. I believe that they know how they're going to start TV. I believe they know when their first massive pay-per-view is going to be. I believe that they know where they're going to be this time next year. And I believe that none of that relates to ratings, right? Because it doesn't even have to... That's where MCU rocked, right? Is they've, they've never had to cancel a movie because of a failure, all right? We, they've never been afraid to take a risk. And even if every movie didn't produce the... billion that some of their movies have made. Uh, They they stuck with their plan. They stuck with their story already. They've consistently rewarded loyal fans. There's a couple of things. I I see these videos pop up on YouTube, like the 10 things you missed in Avengers Endgame. And I'm like, I didn't miss anything. I'm sharp as a tack. I've seen all the movies and I paid attention. And then I watch and they're like, oh, yeah, they paid off that one thing that they mentioned, you know, six months ago or six years ago. And I'm like, what? That's awesome. But they had a plan, right? They had a plan time and time again to say, ooh, do this because we have to set up that. Ooh, do this because we have to set up that. Ooh, do this because down the road, we might want to try that, right? There's a couple loose ends dangling out there in the MCU right now that could be setting up the next 10 years of the movie, right? I mean, knock on wood again, we're going to talk about Spider-Man next week. Like, cause here's what I'm hoping. Like they say the word multiverse. Uh Oh, did Marvel just tell us what's going to happen for the next 10 years? Because a multiverse opens up all sorts of possibilities. Now you better believe that they said that word, not just to tease us. They, they said it cause they have a plan. Okay. And, and that's, That's what AEW has to have, all right? Whether it's legal or illegal, they kind of have to know who they're going to potentially be acquiring over the next year. Oh, yeah, we know this guy's contract's running up. You know, their good friend Marty, the villain, all right? Marty Skrull. Is it Skrull? Marty, if you're listening, and I know you are, buddy, you can shoot me a DM and and correct me. Marty Skrull, the villain, right? He uh he's under contract with New Japan Professional Wrestling right now. He's under contract with Ring of Honor right now. He was unable to come to AEW. Uh the elite who run AEW are his best friends. And he couldn't be there. But you're gonna get Marty in a couple months? Well, how are you gonna bring in Marty? Right? You gotta have a plan. Okay. You have to know uh where you're heading with with things for for years. Because WWE is the biggest culprit of it, okay? We're actually, we're recording this podcast on Monday morning. Do you know that they're still writing Monday Night Raw for tonight? All right, this is a script that could have been written. And I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth. Because last week when I talked about wrestling, I talked about how nice it was for them to have a focus group. That they could change things week to week. 
Okay, but WWE writes their show every week as if they don't know what they did two weeks ago or what they're going to be doing in two months. AEW, I'm not going to say they have to script the first 30 episodes, which would PS only be six months, so that's not really all that outlandish. But um, they have to know where they want to end up, and then they have to know where they're going to go after that, and then where they're going to go after that, and where they're going to go after that. Now, of course, the best laid plans of mice and men, they, they, they change. Things don't work out. That's okay. That's what this whole podcast has been about in a lot of ways. You have to try new things and pre- be prepared for the worst, but they need a long-term plan, right? That if, if you could lock Cody Rhodes uh, in a room alone, you should be able to say, Cody, what's going to happen in the next four years of AEW? And you should be able to say, well, here's what, here's what we're thinking. We're thinking that Adam Page is going to lose to Jericho. Jericho's going to go on. He's going to lose it to Omega. Then we're going to build a feud between Omega and, oh my gosh, here comes Okada, right? Because Okada will come out of New Japan. He's going to work for us for six months from Wrestle Kingdom through Dominion. And then we're going to do Omega Okada 5 at Double or Nothing Two, we're going to sell out a 30,000 person arena. Okada's going to win it, go back to Japan, so on and so forth, right? Cody and the Bucks should have a general idea the same way that the folks at, at the Marvel Studios do. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to try Black Panther. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, we're thinking of doing Guardians. Yeah, yeah. And then what would be nice about Guardians is it's going to open up the door to space for us, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. What's good about, uh, What's good about Black Panther is eventually, you know, we're going to have to do a big war scene and, and we can't do a big war scene in New York again. So now we're going to do one in Wakanda because we've opened up the door to Wakanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that will raise the stakes. You don't think that they knew all of that? You don't think that they, of course they did. And that's what makes MCU great is, is they said, oh God, all right, we got to get to space because if we don't get to space, we're never going to get to do this. And ah, you know, we, we got to increase and improve the technology, especially, uh, you know, hey, you know, Tony might die. We're going to need somebody to replace him. Oh, yeah. Which, oh, man, I can't wait to talk about that. I just let something slip that I'm going to talk about next week. Don't rewind. Um, but listen, guys, like I said, I, I have an awesome opportunity. And this goes back to my whole Philly Sinister Six dot com thing with my toy group. Um, a friend of mine and I met a guy yesterday. He's got some old Star Wars toys from 1978 through you know 1981 82 or so um i don't know we we think they're worth several hundred dollars we're gonna go we're gonna take a look make them an offer and hopefully i'll have an opportunity to kind of bolster my collection of vintage star wars figures so i'm gonna run out gonna come home gonna edit this thing i'll throw in any last minute thoughts after that like i said for the time being uh sean will be here next week uh with the last podcast talking about star wars Greg and Sam. Oh, God, I think Sam's going to be back this week. Thank God. The best damn voice in the business. Listen, Chris, no offense. Uh, You were a serviceable replacement for Sam, uh, but nothing replaces my good friend Sam and Greg doing their thing for We Podcast and We Know Things. Every Thursday, they come out with a show. All right, none of this every other week stuff that me and Sean do. Every Thursday, those guys come out with a show. They go like two hours oftentimes, and they can make literally like anything interesting. Me, I don't care about video games. My favorite games of all time are basically everything that involves Mario, uh, right? I mean, I think Mario Odyssey, Mario 64, and the original Mario are one through three on my favorite video games ever. But like, I'm over here with bated breath, like, when's Bioshock coming out? Gosh darn it. Because they really, they really get you into it. All right. So I can't sing their praises enough. Again, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a member of the We Pod squad. And, uh, yeah, don't forget to, uh, I, I, I'm so excited I get to say this now, like all the real podcasters. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, leave us a comment on, uh, 
everywhere that you can find at Ion Ryan, I-O-N Ryan. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, probably on the Nintendo thing too. I think I'm Ion Ryan if you could find me that way. Uh, anywhere. As a matter of fact, I don't use social network sites that I can't get Ion Ryan. That's why I don't use Snapchat because somebody else has Ion Ryan. So nope, not doing it. But uh, that's it for me, guys. Uh, be great. Be grateful. Uh, shoot me some messages, some stuff you want to hear in two weeks when we talk about Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins web any size. Uses powers to do good in his community, I think. Watch out. Here comes Spider-Man. <laughs>